privilege of introducing our speaker this morning who that fits this, that description, who loves Jesus, who adores Jesus. And um, it's a privilege to serve with this gentleman. His name is Greg Bennett. Would you welcome Greg Bennett up to the stage? You can go ahead and have a seat. Greg and his wife, Karen, and his daughter, Mia, his son, Judah. Oh, all right, we're good. Good. Uh, Greg has this, uh, he's the executive director here at Bel Air Church, and he uh, has the responsibility of uh, some serious responsibility here at this church. And a lot of it's behind the scenes, so you might not have met Greg before. Uh, but as I've gotten to know Greg, I know of him as not only wise in the business side of things, but a lover of Jesus. And so I trust that his love for God and his love for this church is going to come through in this sermon uh, this morning. Can I pray for you as we Absolutely. continue? Yeah. Lord God, we thank you for Greg. We thank you for the work uh, that you have done in and through him. And we trust you. We trust that you've been speaking to him throughout the week. And uh, we look forward to what it is that you have to say to us through his voice, through his tongue. Would you sharpen his mind and, and free him up to bring your word. And may we have ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that were willing to be transformed. We pray these things for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. Well, that was quite an introduction. I appreciate that. Make me feel like an honored guest, even though I'm family. Um, just getting this set here. Thanks for your patience. I didn't have my iPad set. I'm like a techie, and I didn't even have my, my act together coming up here. Um, it's a great honor to be a part of this sermon series, because I'm having so much fun being a part of this. I hope you have too. If you've been here for the past couple weeks, you know that we've been in this sermon series called Meals with Jesus. And uh, we're looking at the life of Jesus and how he ministers, he interacts, he, he heals, he teaches, sometimes he rebukes. Um, he, he manifests his presence in unique ways in, in these different settings, in these different meals. And uh, we're in the middle of that. And this morning, we're gonna be talking about community at the table. And we have an amazing passage in Luke that we're going we're gonna to dive into. Um, but when it comes to community, first off, I think that um, we have to understand something. Community originates with God. God was the inventor of community. So um, when we think about community, and I believe that our culture, our society, we long for community. We long to be known by other people. We long to know other people in an intimate way. And that's because God put it in us. He, he, he was the master of community before we even existed. So we see before creation, uh, we have God the Father that spoke things into being. John 1 talks about Jesus is the word of God who was with God and who was God and who, in whom all things were created. So we've got the Father and we've got the Son. And in the Genesis account, we see that the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we see the three aspects of God, the three persons of God existed in community. God existed in community with himself before we were ever on the scene. So he, he invented it, so he probably knows a thing or two about it. And then at creation, he created man and woman to be in community with each other, but not just with each other. He created them to be in community with himself as well. 
So when we go to scripture and if we see Jesus at a meal and we start to see him exhibiting what community uh, should look like, I, I want to model myself after that. I want to learn from him because, you know, how, how many, if somebody invented something that was just amazing, that we all want to use and, and we need every day, if somebody invented that, and, and they said, hey, I I'll sit down with you and I'm going to show you exactly how to use this. I'm going to show you exactly how to interact with that. All of us would say, yeah, absolutely. Sign me up. And so that's what I believe that we're going to see here this morning in this passage. And we're going to be in Luke. Before we get there, um, you know, as I was reflecting on this week and um, just kind of interacting with the text, I, um, I was mindful of some of the events that um, have happened in our world around us this week. So, you know, we've got all sorts of things going on, but we've got the Olympics going on and I, and I haven't watched a lot of them, but I was able to see a little bit of them this week. And, um, you know, it's just fascinating what the effort that people put into a race or an event, and then they wait to see what medal that they're gonna get. Can you imagine that you put all of yourself into something and then you stand there and you wait for, what is, the, what is the fruit of what I just did? And there was another event that happened this week that was pretty huge and that was the, you know, Billy Graham passed away. You know, we talk about that and we use that word pass away and I, I really, I would say he passed into the presence of God. And can you imagine the, the, through that faithful servant, the people in heaven that are there because he spoke truth, thousands, ten thousands, we have no idea. And what's going on when, when he got into the presence of God would be far more superior than, than any Olympic athlete getting their prize. And I think about that and I think it's been a big week. And I also know Billy Graham has, has spoken here at, at Bel Air. And, uh, you know, what an honor to have somebody like Billy Graham come and, and share. And we've had some amazing people that have come, people who are leaders in culture and society that have come, and, and, and we've hosted them here at Bel Air. I want you to imagine with me for a second, before we go into the text, I want you to Kind of use your imagination for, for a second and imagine that we have somebody up here today that is, um, that is a public, they're, they're impacting culture, they're a public figure, um, somebody like a Billy Graham, somebody who is, you know, on the forefront of wrestling with some cultural issues and, and they're extremely interesting and they're engaging and perhaps even polarizing, but there's no question that they're well-known in, in society and, um, and they're selling out stadiums, okay? If they come to town, it's like, you know, an impossible ticket. And let's say that we, we learned that this individual was going to be in LA and, you know, maybe one of you, maybe a congregant here, you know, is kind of connected and through their network, a friend of a friend of a friend. And we just kind of like, you know, like on a, take a long shot and say, um, man, you know, while you're in town, we hear you're in LA, we'd love for you to come over to Bel Air. Just uh, maybe we can have a panel discussion or something and, you know, you're, 
You're really helping to shape culture right now. We'd like to just, you know, hear what you have to say. Maybe a little Q&A. And, and imagine with me for a second that that's what's going on. So we have a panel. We have this, this amazing leader. And, I mean, it's packed. Standing room only in the back. We got people lining the back. The narthex is full. We got people on the patio trying to listen in. It's packed. And in the middle of his talk or her talk, uh, somebody from the crowd kind of like makes their way up. And like our, our security misses them. Our host team wasn't able to intercept them. And like right in the middle, they come right up here on the bima. And and it's a woman, and she's dressed up, but mind you, it's not Sunday dress up. It's, um, I don't know, like party dress up? Like, you know, maybe, maybe a short cocktail dress, plunging neckline, just not Sunday morning appropriate. And she makes her way up in the middle of this talk, and and goes at the feet of our speaker and begins to take their shoes off. How would you feel? Would you feel embarrassed for, you know, us? We're hosting this person, and this is, like, completely inappropriate. 100%. There's nothing that's right about this situation. Are you angry? Are you judgmental? Are you, like, mad at the executive director because he let this happen? (laughs) How are you feeling? Now, I know Pastor Drew has a high value of us, like, getting out our Bibles and and reading along. This morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to just listen to this story. Feel free to close your eyes if you want. There's only four verses, so it's not going to be that long. But I want you to just enter into this story. Listen to this. This is Luke 7. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him, who's him? Jesus. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was at the table reclining in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, remember that, we're going to come back to that. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman This is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. This, dear friends, is the reading of God's word. So Luke shares this story about this woman. It's a four-verse story about this woman who's at Jesus' feet, weeping, anointing his feet with alabaster. And Luke, when he narrates it, it's just so casual. And there was a woman at Jesus' feet, And scholars look at this, and it's like Luke is being so casual, but this is so inappropriate. There is nothing that's cool about this. This would have been shocking. No less shocking than we've got a a panel discussion going on, and somebody makes their way up here and starts doing the same thing. Completely inappropriate. 
she's not invited, and how she's acting is not appropriate. And you know, I think sometimes um, it's easy for us to kind of give the Pharisees a bad rap. You know, I mean, it's like, it, they're easy targets, I'll admit. And Jesus is constantly getting in their face and saying, this is, he's calling them out. Um, and, and I'll be the first to admit, like I'm piling on. Like when I'm reading, I'm like, yeah, yeah, what he said. <laughs> and, but, but if I were to use this as like a mirror, is there something in me that would act like that? Like, would I act any different? If I were that guy and I invited an honored guest and Jesus was an honored guest in this situation. And I know that there was contention later on, especially between the Pharisees and Jesus. Um, but I, I just want to set something up for you real quick. You don't have to turn here. I just want to point out a couple verses to set the stage. And I know I'm taking a while to set the stage. But here's why. It's so important. You have to understand Jesus is honored even by this Pharisee. Back in Luke chapter 5. Do you know the story... Um, of the person, the, the man who was lame and his, and his buddies wanted to get him healed and they couldn't get close to Jesus. He's on a stretcher. So they find their way up onto the roof of the place where Jesus is speaking and they lower him down in the roof. Okay, that story where Jesus heals him. How does that story start? Let me share this with you. This is in Luke five seventeen. Just listen up real quick. On one of those days, as he was teaching, as Jesus was teaching, get this, Pharisees, and teachers of the law were sitting there. Sometimes I think we get the idea when we read about Jesus, you know, when he went from city to city to city, that he was only, only ministering to the locals, you know, only ministering to those people that were hurting. They were poor. They were desperate. They were in need of healing. Yes, that is true. But you know what? Jesus was making such an impact on culture that we have teachers of the law, we have Pharisees, we have the, the people who are really in the political and religious leadership and shaping culture, they are coming to check out Jesus. So they come to the story where, where the man is lowered through the roof. But listen, it says where they'd come from. They come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now, I've been to Israel, and it's a long bus ride from Jerusalem to Galilee by bus. Can you imagine if you were walking or if you were on horseback? I mean, this takes commitment. So we got to get the idea that, that Pharisees were also traveling to check out Jesus. And this Pharisee, we don't know if he was one of those, but this Pharisee finds an opportunity to invite this very popular person into his home. And he does that. So we see in the story, I think he's skeptical for sure, but I would say he's at least open. This is not like an adversarial dinner. Jesus is to be honored. That's what makes what this woman was doing even that much more crazy. By the way, this dinner was very public. In this sermon series, we're looking at all sorts of meals with Jesus, and it's great. We're, seeing, we're going to see meals that, where Jesus is outdoors. We're going to see Jesus inside in small, intimate settings. In this particular meal, Jesus is in a home, and he's the guest of a, people, a few people that they're around a table, um, but it's a very public setting. And how do I know that? Because that woman was there. How did she get there? It was common if there was a special feast that was going to take place or that there was a special person that this meal was going to honor, 
It was common in that culture for the host of the home to open up the doors so the public could come in. If the host was really wealthy, they might have a courtyard. They would open up the gates of the courtyard. And people would come for all sorts of reasons. People would come because they want to hear, maybe there's these important people and they think there's this important discussion, they want to hear what, what's going on. Some people go because they just want to be seen at the big event. Some people go because they're desperately hungry and they know that when the feast is over, they get to try to get the scraps and the leftovers. So because this woman was there, we know that that's one of these types of events. So here's the story. So Jesus is this popular speaker, popular teacher. He, he's, he's welcomed into this home. In the middle of it, this story goes down. Now, I believe there's three takeaways that we can, we can learn from Jesus about community in this setting. I, I believe, number one, we see the incredible love of Jesus. And I'm going to put it this way. So if we're going to learn from Jesus about community, if we're going to learn what community looks like as God intended, I want to do what Jesus does if I want to experience that kind of a community. And I'm going, to, I'm going to say it this way. In that type of community, I believe love is the currency. Love is the currency. And you're like, Greg, that's like... A strange word. Why, what, what does that have to do with this? What are you talking about? Love, currency, money. What, what's up with that? I know it's a little bit of a different term. I'm intentionally using it because what is currency? Currency is simply the framework by which exchange can take place. You follow me? So, like, when we, th- we, of course, you do speak about money or you think about money. So, if you're in another country, I know some countries take the the U.S. dollar, but a lot of countries don't. So when you're in another country and you want an exchange to take place, you have to operate within the framework of the local currency because the local currency dictates how exchanges happen. So currency isn't just referred to money. There's There's studies and there's this thinking out there today about the currency of communication. So it's not just about money. This idea of a framework for exchange extends into communication as well. Recently, I uh, attended a training seminar for um, PCM. It stands for Process Model Communication. It's kind of this elaborate construct which uh, organizations like NASA and other like Fortune 100 companies use. And it's really kind of like a personality inventory on steroids. And it's this whole construct in which the, the lenses that you're looking through when you're, when you're going through this is communication. And they talk about the currency of communication. So if you're if at your base of your personality, you're a thinker, your currency of communication is logic. Okay, if you're a thinker, my currency is logic. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate to logic best. I'm going to understand logic best. I'm probably going to communicate through logic because I'm a thinker and that's my currency. If you're an empathizer, your currency is feeling. So I'm going to interpret things through feeling. I'm an empathizer, so I'm going to speak through feeling. I'm going to be very sensitive to verbal and nonverbal communications that have feelings in them. It goes on and on and on. If you're a rebel, your currency is adventure and you relate to that. You get the idea. 
That's why I'm using the word currency. Currency provides, provides the framework for exchange. And Jesus has a couple of exchanges here. There's a nonverbal exchange and a verbal exchange. The nonverbal exchange is at the woman, the woman who's at his feet. And, and the Greek there is um, not, Jesus, not that she wiped Jesus' feet or she shed tears. It's that she was wiping. It's con constant action. So there's nonverbal interaction and a nonverbal exchange that's taken place. She is constantly wiping his feet. And the Greek, when it refers to her tears, it's actually the same way that they describe rain. So she is like bawling, like ugly crying at his feet. It's ongoing. What would happen if that was happening up here? Would we feel uncomfortable? What does Jesus do? He shows her love because he does nothing. That's the nonverbal exchange. I believe Jesus is showing love to the Pharisee too. How do you see that? Well, later, I hope you read the rest of the passage. You know, so the, the Pharisee is like, if this man were, you know, and he's saying it to himself, if this man were a prophet, Jesus could have said, man, I... Not only am I not a prophet, I'm like way beyond a prophet. What is a prophet? A prophet speaks for God. I am God. You know, and just kind of like give him the smackdown. Like, what do you mean? He doesn't. He gently, a few verses later, he gently takes him on a journey and he tells him a story about somebody who owed a vast sum of money and was forgiven the debt and how much the love was exhibited in that. And, and so it's the most, one of the most gentle rebukes of a Pharisee that I see in all of Scripture. I believe Jesus was showing love to the skeptic. And Jesus was showing love to the broken sinner, the sobbing sinner. So the currency, I believe, that, that what provides the framework for the type of community that Jesus would want us to have is that love would guide every exchange. Every exchange. You're hurting. I exchange love. You're teaching me. I exchange humility and learning through love. That love guides every interaction and every exchange. Secondly, I believe to have the type of community that Jesus would have us, we have to have humility. It's very difficult to love without humility, by the way, but I do see this in the passage here. I see, I see three characters in the story demonstrating humility. Obviously, the woman who is um, at his feet, she doesn't care what anybody else thinks. She is so desperate for Jesus, she doesn't care what anybody else thinks. She's not appropriately dressed. She knows she's not supposed to be at the table. She's bawling, she's weeping, she doesn't care. Complete humility. God, I need you so much. I don't care what anybody else thinks right now. I also see Jesus being humble because Jesus is God. And he could have been in that moment, you know, like, hey, not right now. You know who I am? This is a really important dinner. He's humble. He's not exercising his right of his position. That's humility. 
Now let's compare that and contrast that to the Pharisee. What's the Pharisee say? The Pharisee said, if this man were, let's stop right there. That's judgment language. If this man were, if this person were, that's judgment language. When I say that about you, if you were, it's as if I assume I know who you are on the inside. I'm judging you by your actions right now. He didn't know the true nature of Jesus. He was evaluating Jesus' actions and how he was responding in the moment. And he's like, well, if this man were a prophet, how easy is it for us to slip into that? And, And that's the opposite of humility. Judgment is the opposite of humility. I am sizing you up right now. Not really, I'm just using that as an example. Um, But when I put myself in that position and I'm like, if you were, or what about the second thing that he said? He would know. Well, if he knew what I knew, if she knew what I knew, if my boss knew what I knew, this person in a small group, if God knew what I knew about this situation... That's not humility. I believe that is a barrier to community. Now, we don't know how Simon, the Pharisee that's mentioned in this story, we don't know how he ends up. We know at the end of this, this, this uh, story that the, the woman, God, Jesus, tells her, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. We know how she ends up. We don't know how the Pharisee ends up. But I would say in that moment, He's, he's resisting community because he's judging and he thinks he knows more. If we want to have the type of community I believe God wants us to have, we must function in humility. We must be teachable. We must not be judgmental. We must be humble. So we need love. Love needs to guide every interaction and every exchange if we want the type of community that God desires for us to have. We must have humility. And finally, I believe that if we have this type of community, we will have transformation. Because if we are truly bringing Jesus, if if Jesus is at the center of community, he's going to be touching people. We're going to be bringing him into the situations. And let me tell you something. You can't be touched by Jesus and not be changed. You can't. You can't have an encounter with the God of the universe and not be transformed. So if this is the type of community that we have, we're truly, it's, it's as God intended that we are in love with one another and we are humbly interacting with one another and Christ is at the center of it. I'm telling you, people will start to be transformed. It just happens. We see it all through scripture. When people encounter God, they're transformed. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. I'm going to quickly just share one story about how that happens in community. Where Jesus isn't actually present. In Acts chapter 8, there's this story of, it's actually one of the first deacons of the church. His name is Philip. 
And he's on one of these Roman roads going down from Jerusalem. And he, there's this official, there's this Ethiopian official in a chariot. And he's trying to read the Bible and he's really kind of having a difficult time. And Philip sees it. And Philip, okay, Philip is a Jew. These are different cultures. He breaks culture. He extends love. He enters into community with this person. He goes to him and says, hey, do you want me to help you figure this out? And this Ethiopian official's like, absolutely. And so they start a dialogue. I believe those were the seeds of community. And Philip was extending love because he wasn't allowing the fact that there were different races and different cultures to interfere with the fact that he would enter into a conversation with him. And he was humble. And what ends up happening is that Ethiopian official was like, hey, wait, there's some water right here. What's preventing me from being baptized right now? That's transformation. Philip brought Jesus into that setting. What would it be like this Lent season if you invited somebody to a meal? What would it be like if after that meal, that person walked away and said, I feel like I just had a meal with Jesus. Not because you're amazing or you did anything phenomenal or you're so just all that, but because they felt love. Love was the currency. Love was the framework of every interaction they had with you. And you demonstrated humility, Christ-like humility. And you brought Christ into the setting. And they walked away and they said, man, I really feel like I had a meal with Jesus. How awesome would that be? Let me ask you this. What are you doing to foster that type of community? Love, humility, transformation. What are you doing to foster that? Let me flip it around. What are we doing to hinder that? Are there things that we're doing to hinder community as God intended? I believe so much that we have the ability to carry Christ with us into every situation, but we have to be committed to loving we have to be committed to humility and we have to be committed to keeping him at the center, not me, not what I'm going to get out of this community, but keeping Christ at the center. Will you bow your heads with me? I would imagine that in a crowd this size or perhaps people listening online that there might be some people that think, you know, first off, I, I don't even know what it means to have community with Jesus, much less other people. And I want to tell you, it's easy to have community with Jesus right now. Just as the woman who was sobbing at his feet walked away with peace, you have the ability to walk away with peace. If you don't know Jesus in that way, if you're not experiencing peace, you have the ability to do that. And it's as simple as this. It's just saying, Jesus, I, I, I messed up. 
I want you to be Lord of my life. Lord simply means master. Jesus, I've been the master of my life for a long time and I've come up short. Would you be the master of my life? That's all that it takes for you to acknowledge that he is Lord and accept what he's done for you. That's all that it takes. You can do it right now, wherever you're at, just ask him. I realize there's a lot of us in this room who are already Christ followers, who already said, Jesus, you are my Lord. And I'm asking you to ask the Holy Spirit, would you show me ways that you want me to step out and foster this type of community? Or will you show me ways, Holy Spirit, I invite you in this moment to show me ways where I may be hindering community the way you designed it to be. God, we come before you right now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. God, we thank you for grace and mercy and we thank you for Jesus and his example for us. God, we come up short so many times, but thank you that you are gracious and you're patient. God, thank you that you have provided strength and truth and your spirit to enable us to live out this life the way that you want us to live it out. God, we long for community. Will you make that happen in our midst, God? Would we experience the type of community that you long for us to have by the power of your word, the anointing of your spirit? God, we thank you in advance for doing this. In your precious name we pray.